This is Speaking Out. I'm Jay McAllister. An independent institute will be set up to oversee treaty negotiations with dozens of Queensland's Indigenous nations after landmark laws were passed by State Parliament earlier this month. The legislation will establish a First Nations Treaty Institute as well as a truth-telling and healing inquiry. It's expected the truth-telling component would take the form of both a formal inquiry and a community-focused process. But what is a treaty? How would it improve the lives of Indigenous Australians? And how does truth-telling aid the reconciliation process? Queensland Treaty Advancement Committee co-chair Mick Gooder spoke with producer Manel Creed. In the most basic terms, what exactly is a treaty? A treaty is agreement. Sovereign people come together to work out a way forward, sort out issues they may have, and they'll do a document, and that's what we generally know as a treaty. So once people agree, and that's how we're describing Queensland, everything's on the table, people will put all sorts of things on the table for their particular treaty, and if it's agreed, we end up with a treaty. And from your perspective, why do we need a treaty, and why would that be different from the Treaty of Victoria compared to Queensland? Oh, I don't think we're different from Victoria. They're pursuing their treaties in the way they're going and we're pursuing treaties in Queensland the way we've been told people want in Queensland. We've consulted extensively and we really admire Victoria for the way they're going about it. We have a great relationship. We feed off each other. But in the end of the day, if we're going to have treaties, they'll both be the same thing. An agreement between sovereign people. So on one side, there'll be the state. On the other side there'll be a treaty party representing a particular area, a particular group of people, and the issues they agree on will become a treaty. Some critics would say that a treaty is a symbolic gesture. How would you respond to that? I'd say symbols are really important in any society. We have symbols for Aboriginal people. We have our flag. We're going to have multiple flags. I know in central Queensland, the Gungaloo people have a flag. So I don't shy away from that. Yes, it could be symbolic, but symbols are very important in any society. I don't think because it's symbolic, it doesn't mean it's any less effective. I know in Victoria, they're looking at a treaty for the whole nation, but I've also heard that in Queensland, they're looking at a treaty with each individual nation there. We say in Queensland, we probably won't get one treaty. And for me, there's a really practical reason for that. And and that is who would Queensland would sign a treaty on behalf of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Queensland. So by very nature, it's going to be treaties instead of a treaty. And do you think that that's important? Because previously we've been fighting for a treaty. I think originally it was meant to be for the whole of Australia and now it's going to be statewide. Should we have a treaty for each individual nation or just...? Absolutely. See, our view on Queensland, if that's what the treaty party decides, that it's for individual nations... That's what goes ahead. The Queensland government just says everything's on the table when it comes to treaty, who the treaty party is and what's going to be in a treaty. Now, I don't think there's an appetite in Queensland, at least, to have one treaty. So, therefore, it'll be multiple treaties in Queensland. I think it'll be the same in Victoria. People argue we should have had a treaty in 1888, uh, 1798. You know, the Gadigal people didn't have a right to sign my country away at Central Queensland. So if they had to sign a treaty, then they would have been 
and the British wouldn't have understood this. They could only speak on behalf of Gadigal land, not the rest of Australia. So I think it's it's appropriate that we have treaties for each individual group and if those groups want to come together and have one treaty, that's their business and that's where they make it or give what we call free prior and informed consent. So if people want to go that way, that's fine. But I understand the conversations I've had in Queensland, it's about treaty, not a treaty. This new legislation also includes a truth-telling component. Why is the truth-telling important? We've got to tell the complete history of Queensland, the colonisation. I've grown up in the state, I'm 66 years old. I've only ever been taught the colonisers' view of what happened. So for a complete history to be provided, that's what we need, the complete history, and we tell it from our perspective, what happened on the colonisation. And then maybe people can understand the ongoing trauma, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people suffering this state because it goes way back to how this place was colonised. So telling the truth is the first step in coming to that realisation that things aren't quite what we were told because there's another side of this story. And I've got to say, when we did our consultation, non-Indigenous people were pretty were more upset about not knowing the full history of Queensland colonisation than Indigenous people. So there's everyone in Queensland, I think the curiosity of people is that they want to know what happened. I don't think we can actually move on to treaties until we actually come to that acceptance of this joined history that we have. But at this stage, all we know is one side. I know in Victoria they have the Europe Commission. Would Queensland be looking at having some kind of truth-telling commission as well no, that would deal a, with this? It'll be a truth and healing inquiry that's established under the, under the bill that was passed last week. So we we're not having a commission or inquiry or a royal commission. We're having an inquiry that's specifically designed to do truth-telling in Queensland. So if you look through the legislation, there's all the information in there about what its functions are, how it's convened. You know, there'll be five members. The majority of the five will be Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. There'll be gender balance somehow. There'll be gender considerations. So they're the things we've got to decide. That's what the legislation says, and then it goes to the functions of truth. So if people read, want to get a bit of an uh, understanding of how the truth-telling inquiry will run, have a look at the legislation. That'll tell you the first thing. The next thing we do is actually design the terms of reference for the inquiry, and then once the Act commences, once it has royal assent, the truth-telling inquiry will be established. So we're doing a bit different to Victoria. They've got a Royal Commission. We've got an inquiry under the under the legislation that was passed last week. And do you think that there is something that should be a major part of the focus of this truth-telling inquiry? I think people need to tell their stories. You know, people will be able to come and tell their stories to the inquiry. We're already working on, on the stuff that we need to get right around data sovereignty and who owns those stories and who gets access to them. So that stuff's being done in the background. No doubt that'll, those sort of things will find their way into the terms of reference. So if someone wants to tell a story, they need to be able to control who gets access to that story. So there's a fair bit of preparation happening now. Then the next thing will be done will be uh, uh, there'll be a call for membership somewhere down the track before the end of the year. There'll be terms of reference release. The thing will be established, members appointed, and then they'll be tasked with carrying out the duties that will be articulated in the terms of reference. 
And we're talking about treaty now, but after having this truth-telling inquiry, how long is that going to take for people to be able to tell their stories or is that just an ongoing thing? Well, it starts for three years and mm. with the possibility of it being extended. So if the inquiry membership says we need more time, like the Royal Commission I was on in the Northern Territory got two extensions, that's not unusual for inquiries like this to be extended. So we establish it for three years to start with and then it's up to the members to make representations to government if they haven't or they don't look like completing their, their job. We, we put in the legislation, the inquiry's got to provide a report to the minister who has to table it in par- that, that report in parliament after the first 12 months. So we'll have a bit of an idea what the thinking of the membership of the inquiry is at that point. So we put these things in place in the legislation. So if we haven't covered everything in the terms of reference, or the legislation, after 12 months of operation, they'll get a review of the report from the inquiry. So that, that'll give us some clues about how the operations of it's going. So we wanted that in there mm-hmm. to give the membership of the inquiry, the members of the inquiry, some capacity to influence what happens next, whether it's an extension or, or whatever. And do you think that this truth-telling inquiry could lead to better steps towards reconciliation process or what are your thoughts on that? I, that's the reason we're doing it. You know, mm. we, we were told it needed to be done. I don't think you can have a treaty unless it's, it's based on the truth. So it's now become fundamentally part of the treaty-making process, telling the truth. So the only difference is we in Queensland we've now legislated the connection between those two things. And Queensland is a little bit different from all the other states and territories that we have here in Australia in terms of the Torres Strait Islands, and they've signed on this statement of Masig. What is your opinion about that, and is this something that should be considered as part of the treaty process? I, I think the Masig statement will guide a lot of the stuff that the Torres Strait Islander people want. It's been endorsed. I could imagine if they have a Torres Strait Treaty, that will be the basis of the Torres Strait Treaty, the Masik Statement. It's a very important document, but I get a bit hesitant to speak on this stuff because it's really Torres Strait Island people who should be talking on behalf of that. Sure, but it's definitely a positive in terms of healing for Torres Strait Islander people and, well, everybody in Queensland. Oh, absolutely. I think I think it's like anything we do in this process. that It's got to have relevance to everyone, I think. Aboriginal people, for instance, will look at the Massic State and say, what can we learn from that for our treaties? You know, what we want to put in our treaties. I could imagine that happening. I could imagine non-Indigenous people saying, well, that's a great statement there. What can we do with it to make it more relevant to us for what, what our needs are? You know, I've been engaging in this game for many years and I constantly hear from non-Indigenous people the same issue we have that government doesn't talk to us, we just get what they want to give us, and we want to say in that. So the, the view about government is pretty much the same across Aboriginal people, Torres Strait Islander people, and non-Indigenous people. And I've got no doubt non-Indigenous people will take a lead from this and say, well, we want to say in this stuff that happens in our town or our community as well. I think there's a great potential for those people to join with Aboriginal people, Torres Strait Island people, and maybe they can learn from us instead of everyone looks at all the problems we got. Maybe we got a lot of the answers here for all of Australia. 
We've lived in this on this country for thousands of years before Europeans came and the things that specifically with, with the treaty, we're the only country or nation in the whole world that doesn't have a treaty with their government. I think we're the only Commonwealth nation. Commonwealth nation, yeah. A treaty. yeah. I think there's lots of people without treaties, but we're the only Commonwealth nation that doesn't have a treaty. People who were colonised by the British. That's right. But we also need, just like the last referendum that we had with the right to vote, if it wasn't for non-Indigenous people or the rest of Australia, we also need them to be part of this voting process as well too. Oh, absolutely. And and this is, we keep on going back. The whole aim of starting the treaty process was to reframe the relationship between Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and the rest of Queensland. And we've got to keep going back to that as a guiding principle. That's a guiding principle. If some, we're doing something that won't reframe that relationship in a positive way, I don't think we should do it. Absolutely. I always say we need to move forward. We can't change the past, but we can change the future. And Absolutely. part of that is that we move forward together as a whole nation of Australians. Us all moving together where our rights are recognised, our stories are told, and people listen to us, but we come together as a community in Queensland to go forward. Now, that might sound a bit like motherhood and things like that, but I actually believe in it. Most people I work with believe in it. Well, we definitely need for everybody in Australia to be open to treaty. And if it means that we have treaty with several different nations within the states or territories, we definitely need everybody to be voting on it. Well, they have. 88 out of 92 members of parliament last week voted for the treaty legislation. So you could say 95% of the representatives of Queensland have voted for this. That's a good start. That's Queensland Treaty Advancement Committee co-chair and former Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Social Justice Commissioner Mick Gooder speaking with producer Manel Creed.